This is Indulge with Amanda Liberto, a non-guilty podcast about guilty pleasures. This was my first long-distance interview for the podcast, not only because of coronavirus, but because my guest, Zach Pockleb, lives in Las Vegas. He let me test out some new systems on him, and we talked about his non-guilty guilty pleasure of romantic comedies. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at Indulge With for updates on guests and episodes and comment on what your guilty pleasure is that you are not guilty about. Thanks for listening. Indulge with Amanda Luberto. How are you doing? I'm grand, you know. We're in month three of quarantine, not quarantine. Just just rolling along, just trying to fight the good fights and uh, wear masks. Yeah, fighting the good fight is just like staying inside. But that's not why I brought you here today. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole different situation. But when I think of some of Zach's like non-guilty guilty pleasures an immediate one is I think of how much you love romantic comedies and just like your claiming of the like quote-unquote like teen chick flick and then you just flip it on upside down and you're like absolutely not I love this enjoyable film and I think that's exactly what this podcast is about to be fair it was a maturation process to get there it was definitely a uh, indulgence that I rejected throughout high school as I t- pretended to be a jock in sports bro. And then, you know, as you become more of an adult, you realize, you know what, those two people, I want to hang out with them and watch them fall in love. And and that's what rom-coms are all about. Yeah. So like, when would you say that you started to notice, like, when you would see a rom-com, like commercial or whatever, you're like, oh, I got to put that one on my list. Like, that looks kind of fun. Like, when'd you get into them? Oh God, like 2017. I, like, so rom-coms were always, as many people who just, I don't know, live on the earth and watch movies are pretty omnipresent. They're just always around. I mm-hmm. have four older sisters. And so they were always watching a lot of the like Matthew McConaughey rom-coms and a little bit of the Nora Ephron rom-coms. Um, and so as their younger brother, sometimes I would just sit and watch it because the girl in the movie was cute or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but as a young adult, uh, set it up was a very important movie for me, just in the sense that I was like, oh, like, I like these actors and actresses like Tay Diggs and and Lucy Liu, like I'm in. And then I realized, you know, what's great. Just a lighthearted rom-com, you know, what's going to happen. Maybe there's a little bit of a twist here and there, as long as the, uh, potential breakup scene isn't too painful. I'm in, I'm in. Yeah. In your mind, what makes a movie a romantic comedy? So it has to be a balance of romance and comedy. Like ideally, there's a meet cute early in the beginning that most often pits the two leads against each other. Yeah. And they have to work through whatever that adversity is that is built into either like their jobs or their situations. And at the end, they end up together. Um, other features that can be included are the best friend characters um, or roommates or committees that help them uh, walk through their love circumstance with the other lead. 
Um, Definitely a Nora Ephron like perfected situation. Yeah, the the side characters are really crucial to adding the flavor because you know what you're getting with the rom-com leads. You know, there's going to be some banter, there's going to be some romance, um, but the like seasoning, if you will, kind of comes in with with those uh, other characters. I think the best scenario or the best example of this is uh, Carrie Fisher in When Harry Met Sally. Just an all-star performance. Like I know she's Princess Leia, but in that movie. I, I honestly don't remember what her character's name is, which is terrible, but it's Carrie Fisher and it's her. Yeah, most she's not role. Princess Leia. That's like the most important part. Exactly. And so, um, and, and the balance is important too, because it can't just be like too comedic. It can't just be a lot of laughs with a, with a romance thrown in um, because that's what mo- like most comedies, I don't think like Wedding Crashers is a rom-com. Like there's, yeah. there's love stories in there, but it's definitely a, and, and and there's there's some movies that are like on the edge of maybe being too goofy or, or stuff like that. Um, and then the other tricky thing with me is sometimes there are more high school movies than rom coms. Ooh so, yeah. So ten things I hate about you, um, seventeen again, the Zac oh. Efron version. I wouldn't uh, say either of those are a rom com, but I guess there's a romance. Right, or like can't hardly wait. Like if you Google yeah. rom-com, these movies come up. Uh, yeah. A lot of, and then in the set it up range, there's uh, To All the Boys I Loved Before, which was like the, the, the dual spearheaded rom-com revival that Netflix had. And, yeah. And for me, like I know To All the Boys I Loved Before is like pretty much a rom-com, but in my head it's a high school movie because they're in high school. And like, I don't know, I'm kind of simple-minded like that. I think that's definitely like, of all of the ones I'm thinking of, like, to me, like, we were talking, you and I, um, off the pod a few days ago about, like, quintessential, like, 80s high school movies, and we talked a lot about the Brat Pack movies, and uh, 16 Candles is, I guess, technically, there is a romance, and it's a comedy, there's, you know, there's the John Hughes laughter moments, but to, in my mind, like, I wouldn't say, like, oh, 16 Candles is one of my favorite romantic comedies. I would say it's like one of my favorite like teen movies. And I feel like this newer generation, like you said, with Set It Up and uh, To All the Boys I've Loved Before and whatever the name of the sequel was that I didn't watch, is kind of this like dichotomy of like, I think of it as a romantic comedy, but it's because it has like the kitschiness of like what modern rom-coms have. And not the, like, teens talking like adults that kind of, like, in my mind what an 80s high school movie is. Or even, like, the 90s high school movies. Like, 10 Things I Hate About You, like, they talk like they're 33. And, like, that's what makes the movie so fun. Because you're like, yes, girl, talk about the bell jar. Let's do it. (laughs) Like, all that kind of stuff. But I guess technically, like, it is a high school movie. It, and I think with high school movies too, which are which are also great, um, it's it's oh, more yeah. of an ensemble. It's more of an ensemble, and yeah, there might be a central love story, but the impact of the side characters more heavily sway where the plot's going more mm-hmm. than just like like the plot isn't centralized by the love story. Maybe the love story in the high school movie is like a big vehicle, but it's not yeah. the main thing. So like in Seventeen again, or in like She's the Man, like there's other goals beyond the love story yeah so that like i kind of have like a list of like 
does this count as a rom-com? Because I have like kind of this overarching question, I guess, of like, I feel like there are rom dramedies. Like I'm thinking like the notebook, the big sick, like to me, in my mind, those are like romantic dramas, but there are like a lot of moments of levity like the big sick he's literally a stand-up comedian it's about Camille Nanjiani who is a comedian like and like some of the best moments of the notebook is when they're like goofing off and you're laughing along with them and like I guess technically like for our generation I feel like the notebook is like the ultimate romantic comedy that people think of but to me it's like way more of a drama than it is like a comedy like would you consider those movies rom-coms or dramas or can it be both well with the notebook in in particular i think that's definitely just a romance movie that happens to be funny and that's what makes the movie entertaining okay Uh, and what was the second movie you mentioned the big sick the big sick the big sick is it gets so heavy that it leans more towards drama because of just the the nature of the storyline mm-hmm. but if i mean i could see how it could be more it's it's more of a rom-com than the note the notebook a movie that's more like the big sick in my head is like 500 days of summer which also some people put into the rom-com thing and that is to all, me the my favorite romantic comedy <laughs> so so that's just first of all there's there's multiple reasons why i don't qualify it as like a rom-com in my personal canon one of them is that they don't end up together. Spoiler alert. Um, True. There can only be 500 days. Right. So that's like a tricky situation where I think, I think with rom-coms, there's always like bits. There's comedic bits. Like yeah. there's intentional comedy. Like in When Harry Met Sally, there's when him and his friend are at the, the sports game. I don't know what it is. And they're doing <laughs> the wave. But they're having a serious conversation, but still doing the wave. You kind of know, oh, this is going to be a funny part. Even in like a movie that edges more toward a dramcom or a drum rom, I don't know what it is. Silver Linings Playbook. Yeah. I feel like that's your five hundred days of summer. I don't like it that I mean I used I loved it in like high school because Jennifer Yeah. Hardy. I mean I probably haven't seen five hundred days of summer since I was like eighteen. But No, I re- I rewatched Silver Linings Playbook recently and like it's fine. I was just like, Hey, you know, Bradley Cooper, kinda fun, uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Shout out to her, just a great actress, and high school Zach was in love with her. And yeah, I mean, still an iconic scene, her throwing all those plays off that table. Yeah, which is fantastic. Also hasn't aged well in some aspects of how it handles mental illness. Anyway, that's just one of those movies that is like on the edge. If like somebody was like, this is a rom-com, and they're really passionate about it, I wouldn't get upset, but I wouldn't agree. Yeah, I mean, I think that like 500 Days of Summer, I always like, clarify it I guess as a romantic comedy because it was so in like the tumblr era of like when we were in high school like it was so romanticized as like this beautiful thing and maybe it's just because I was on like hipster tumblr it always like felt to me as one of the best ones as someone who doesn't generally care for romantic comedies because like they break up once again spoilers then you watch him kind of like suffer and that's when you get like the expectation versus reality like situation that is like quintessential to 500 days of summer but then in the very last bit like he meets someone new and then like the timer starts over again it really 
stuck with me this notion of like that's what romance is sometimes is that like you fall in love everything is wonderful then like something happens you break up you reevaluate kind of everything you thought was going to happen and then you like suffer and you go down to your convenience store and the guy like gives you orange juice and Twinkies or whatever he did in the movie. And then you meet someone new one day and then your whole timer starts over. And like, maybe that's not funny. And like, maybe that's why it's not a romantic comedy. Yes. I, I have like three tangents. Okay. Let's hear them all. <laughs> one throwback to when we went to Los Angeles and tried to get to the 500 days of summer Hill, but it was closed off. But it was closed. I have sat on the bench just so everyone is aware. <laughs> I, I have not. So we can't win them all. Second, this is like a out of nowhere comp, but like in my head, and this is why 500 Days of Summer doesn't qualify as a rom-com in my mind. 500 Days of Summer is just like the Tumblr version of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Oh, to me, like they're equally as Tumblr. No, no, no. But like in the sense of like Tumblr teen. And it's just like, yeah, it's, Young it's a lighter, more hipster, more indie, like references and humor and like it has less of an exist. 500 Days of Summer has less of an existential crisis than Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, but they are yes. like break. They're breakup movies, like they're yeah. they're movies you cry to. And like in a rom com, you might cry because Tom Hanks says "Don't cry, shop girl," and you've got mail. But that's if you're not sobbing heavily. I mean, maybe you are because I, emotions are valid. And then the. The, the version of 500 Days of Summer that is more of a romantic comedy to me, but is still kind of like in that indie, hipster, trendy vibe is Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. There's definite bits, chemistry, and, yeah. uh, and, it, and it fills all those. I definitely tried to listen to all those songs when I listened to the, or when I watched the movie for the first time and I was like, I like this, like this music. You guys, have you guys heard this song? No. Have you, um, have you ever heard of the strokes? <laughs> okay. No, okay, you know what's, I don't even know if they're in the movie. It just feels like they were. <laughs> There's a very definitive song. And, and I don't, it's actually in like a, it's in a scene where they're like in the studio and they like make out. But the song. I, is that's like the only scene from that movie that like is in my brain. Okay. So in that scene, the, the song that plays in that, uh, it's by Paul Tiernan, How to Say Goodbye. Definitely, like, it's on my feels playlist. So it's, <laughs> it's, but anyway, that's more of a rom-com to me and, like, in that indie vibe than 500 Days of Summer might be. And personally, if I'm watching a rom-com, I'd like for them to end up together. I'm not going to watch, like, The Breakup and have, you know, just eternal, like, doubts about whether or not I ever want to be in a relationship. Then on the other side, so I have, like, the rom-dramedies, the rom-com drom. But on the other hand, there is sort of like there's a romance in a comedy. And yeah. I want to know if you think those count as well. And this is something I didn't understand was like such a hot take. But like probably my favorite like Judd Apatow movie is like I really love Knocked Up. <laughs> I think it's so fun. But like Knocked Up, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, very like Judd Apatow, that generation of comedian like there is some sort of like dilemma with the really hot girl and like the kind of okay stoner guy that has like the great heart that's like gonna be there for you in the end and like it definitely is like a comedy and it does like something that you mentioned that he is always very good at he being Judd Apatow is like 
the the side friends like you definitely know like all the friends in the movie as well like um the 40 year old virgin is like another judd apatow movie where it's like i guess it's a com it's there's a romance but it's a comedy and there's friend like all the pieces are there but yeah. is it a rom-com i mean it's a cop out to say case by case but like knocked up i think is, is a rom-com in the same like and maybe it's because seth rogan is in both of these but like long shot a great rom-com um i think the not the edge but in my head one of the rom-coms that leans more calm than rom is 50 first dates oh i have like five soft spots for romantic comedies and that's one of them it's it's great that's a movie i will always watch if it's on tv as a Hawaii, like as a person who has family in Hawaii and, and counts himself as a Hawaiian it's, person, it's I tough. might, I should be offended by it, but it's fine. Like, yeah, like it's just it, so cute. Like how he tries to win her back every day, <laughs> making a little house out of waffles. <laughs> right, and just and and the and the very uh, meta commentary where she can't remember him but keeps painting him, including an egghead. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. The 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 families are great. The, the chef who wants to put peanut butter cups in his eggs. Um, <laughs> I think it's I, my favorite of like the Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore together movies, which is probably a hot take because I feel like most people would say The Wedding Singer. But I really just I love Fifty First Dates. I think that's called We Were Ten when Fifty First Dates came out, and that's why we like that movie more than The Wedding probably. Singer. I'm guessing if you see Adam Sandler in his third movie after you've seen like Waterboy and like you see Wedding Singer, it's different than after you watch like Big Daddy. Happy Gilmore, Fifty First Dates. Okay, so you were saying that like you don't like the breakup part. You like the getting back together or like the ending up together part. So like a big one is like forgetting Sarah Marshall. Like there's a big breakup in the beginning and then he meets Mila Kunis. He like falls in love with Mila Kunis. Then like Kristen Bell wants to get back together with him because they're at the same hotel for whatever reason. But then he like kind of rises above and is like, I don't need it anymore. And he like falls in love with Mila Kunis after like kind of losing her for a little bit. Like you still get like all of the same like elements of like happy, lose her, get her back, happy. But there's like a giant breakup with someone else in the very beginning of the movie. Like does, it's not sold as a rom-com, so does it feel like a rom-com? It can qualify as a rom-com, but it's definitely like advertised as a comedy, right? Yeah. But one could argue that it's as much of a rom-com as like set it up because there's kind of two relationships happening at the same time. Yeah. That are important to the movie. Like it, it's critical to Jason Segel and Mila Kunis' relationship is like how he deals with Kristen Bell and Russell Brand is just kind of there. Uh, but yeah, so... It's, I'm like not mad at forgetting Sarah Marshall if like people want to call that their favorite rom-com I might roll my eyes a little bit and be like okay whatever you just like comedies yeah Um, there are comedies where like people end up together and like that's fine exactly what are some of your favorite romantic comedies and or romantic comedy teams okay so uh one of the nostalgia picks is 51st Dates, if we're counting that one. Um, and Nick and Nora, that's where my, like, you know, eye-rollingly pretentious side picked that one. And, because I think all of us who grew up in the 2000s and were shaped by 2000s culture in some aspect probably have one Michael Sarah movie that they enjoy, like, for sure. Absolutely. 
um, but Hitch is the one. That's uh, right. Oh, that's your big one. That's a big one. I, you know, Will Smith at the peak of his powers. Um, Kevin James, uh, Kevin James, and his subplot, main plot thing, uh, really is fantastic. I didn't. I never watched King of Queens, so I had no relationship to Kevin James at that point. But I had a relationship to his character, to Albert Brenneman. Uh, and the dance scene was very informative on my life, for better or worse. That so is much true. So that I did Albert Brenneman's dance routine at my best friend's wedding, and and that's that's a crazy movie to rewatch because like the plot kind of doesn't make sense. Like uh, Eva Mendez is like a gossip columnist, and she's reporting on Will Smith, sure. who is a, a date doctor. Um, <laughs> I love like, the idea of a date doctor. It's a very two thousands thing too, because like nobody's like a gossip columnist who's like, hey, you know, it's a great story. This random guy. And, and, and Will Smith now is probably just running a YouTube channel. Um, I just have like so many like, I have like journalism PTSD of like editors being like, why does that matter? Why that guy? What does our audience want? Is he available? Like all the, like, all the pitch yeah. questions that come after. And, and also one of the best parts of like a, a, a useful trait that you'll see in rom-coms. It's in New York. You know. Yes. I feel like oh, wait, if no. you can get like yeah, New York and journalist writing like some sort of like fun piece is like always involved somehow. I mean, that's but, exactly how, how to lose a guy in 10 days happens. Yeah. Which is in my like short list of romantic comedies that I ride or die for. Like that's one of them. Yeah. And I mean, we'll get into that, but like just continuing on my, you know, these are the ones that stand out. Um, of the Nora Ephron ones, obviously, When Harry Met Sally, but You've Got Mail. I'm a You've Got Mail over Sleepless in Seattle guy. Where, it's just where we differ. It's okay. It's just more fun. They're, 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 it's more charming. It's happier. Uh, there's Godfather references. Maybe he catfishes her. It's fine. Like, I think it's, it's just because I saw Sleepless in Seattle so much earlier in my life. Then you've got mail and I have like a love affair with the city of Seattle, but like, I definitely love like the, those top three Nora Ephron movies. Like they're all incredible. If someone was like, I like Harry met Sally over you've got mail. I wouldn't be like, you're a monster. Like, I'd be like, that's fine. I understand. I think, the, I, I think the hotter take is picking you've got mail over those two. If I, if I understand the interesting perception of the Nora Ephron canon, um, let's see how many times I can say canon, but <laughs> so obviously the Nora Ephron movies are important. Uh, I was yeah. a really big fool's rush in guy. Have you heard of that one? That one. I'm sure it's, I have. It's a 1997 Matthew Perry and Salma Hayek. The plot of it is that Matthew Perry and Salma Hayek have a one night stand together in Las Vegas. And Matthew Perry then finds out that she is pregnant and so despite Matthew Perry's life as basically Joey from Friends, yeah. um, he has he like gets drawn into a marriage and like has to meet the family. And it's I, I freaking love that movie. I haven't probably watched it since I was eight. And I don't know what it says about my family that they let me watch that movie at eight. But that's all right. Yeah. Um, another one that's a little underrated. Uh, and my best friend reminded me of this. It's a movie called Only You. I don't know that one at all. Okay, so again, lockdown really helped me revisit uh, some movies that I had forgotten or never heard of, or whatever. Uh, but it's a it's a movie directed by Norman Jewison, 
and it has Marissa Tomei and Robert Downey Jr. Whoa! Yeah, yeah. I should have watched that. It's 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 pretty. I mean, it's fine, but like, it's Robert Downey Jr. and Marissa Tomei, and yeah, Marissa Tomei, an incredible human being. She's just been on consistent high level forever, and it's really funny seeing young Robert Downey Jr. because I don't know. I know Robert Downey Jr. was like a big actor when he was younger. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's a really funny movie. Uh, my best friend, like his childhood crush was Marissa Tomei strictly because of that movie. Text. rom-coms are not my favorite genre of movie i think it's because like i like being surprised which is like why i like horror movies and like thrillers and stuff like that like i don't know what i like not knowing what's gonna happen next which is like not why you watch romantic comedy you watch romantic comedy to like know and have an understanding going in that like things will be great no matter how bad things get things will be great and that like it'll be all right in the end i feel like romantic comedies and like Christmas movies kind of get lumped in together sometimes like I feel like the holiday while being probably a romantic comedy I would say it's a pretty inignorable romantic comedy to me as a Christmas movie and in that case I really like that movie um and then Love Actually it's what I watch on Thanksgiving night after Thanksgiving dinner every year I love Love Actually um, there's a lot of romantic comedy kind of going on in there, but that's like one of those movies. But some of the ones that like come to my brain as like some of the most like roll your eyes, even though they're popular, like I'd rather like just walk in circles and watch this movie if someone asked me to watch this movie. Uh, shots fired here. Here we go. Uh, the proposal garbage. <laughs> So, I don't have any emotional attachment to the proposal. It's fine. I Maybe it's because I just like, don't care what happens to those characters. Well, do you care about those two actors? I don't mind Sandra Bullock. Like, I feel like Sandra Bullock has really cool oh, yeah, role. I, I mean, I think we're both pretty neutral on Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, he's fine. And, and so, like, that's, I mean, I, the proposal is just, it's whatever. It's fine. A lot of people like the proposal. Yeah, and then a lot of people also like, uh, this is a twofold, Made in Manhattan and The Wedding Planner. They came out kind of like around the same time. I couldn't give two shits about either of those movies. <laughs> and I think I've seen all three of those movies, and I was just like, when will it end? <laughs> like, I know they get together. Like, this fight doesn't matter. Like, they will end up together. I do not care. You don't go to the rom-com for the, like, just like to find out what happens in the relationship. It's like, it's like you go to a comedy to laugh. You go to a rom-com to watch, like, to watch charming people be charming and like hijinks ensue. First of all, Wedding Planner, I know it's not great, but it's great. Okay. It was a very, it was a very formative early, okay, I'll, I'll deal with this one rom-com for myself. Um, Probably just because there's a scene in which Matthew McConaughey and, uh, I forget what the dude's name is, but his name is Massimo in the movie. And he they do the manly bonding. 
like together. <laughs> and he's like, oh, do the manly bonding. And that has been used by my family for every single new guy that has come into my siblings' lives, which has been like four. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've dated other people, but like every time there's a wedding and like the men go out to the store to get like get ice and like talk about uncles or something, they're like, ah, we're doing the manly bonding. Like, <laughs> it has like it has like familial nostalgia for you yeah it's definitely not a good movie yeah which but, like okay. for me like we were talking about the um nor efron movies like maybe i love sleepless in seattle because over the two i love them all but like over the two of them that's my favorite one and maybe it's because my mom really liked it because like she lived in Seattle with my dad. Like and that maybe was just like shown to me sooner. And then that is, you know, the they all kind of go from there. But I think like nostalgia plays a role in some of these like m- more major like romantic comedies that we like. Partially. And, and it's been fun during the last few months, like revisiting a lot of these or or even just like since I've started dating my girlfriend, like I watch more rom-coms just on the regular. And there's movies that I had never even heard of or knew that were important or like had heard of and didn't care about watching because it's a rom-com. One of them being Four Weddings and a Funeral. I mean, I know it's like an Academy Award winning or a nominated movie. I understand that. But man, that movie holds up. Like what a great I know that's a really big one. I just have to like bite the bullet one day and be like, we're just going to do it. It's it's so pra- it's so fun and there's like a real energy to the dialogue and the friends are fun and it's 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 almost barely a rom com because it's such a friend group movie too, mm-hmm. uh, but it's definitely a rom com because you know Hugh Grant. Uh, yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> the the there, there's a I mean this goes with any genre of movie but there's a sweet spot where a rom com can really be like an Academy worthy type of movie like like. You know, you get four weddings and a funeral, or you get um, the big sick was was there, even if it's barely a rom com. Um, sometimes there's like a real good quality to the movie itself, and not just like the cliche mail it in. Like my I, my standout mail it in rom com is Fool's Gold. Yeah, I would take <laughs> How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days a thousand times before I watch Fool's Gold ever again. Though I have like a very clear memory. Of the two of them jumping off a boat into the ocean. <laughs> they were like, hey, remember those two that did a good rom-com? Now they're in swimsuits. Mm-hmm. That's That was true. the entire thing. Like, what um, if we put Kate Hudson in a bikini? <laughs> what if we showed Matt McConaughey's abs the whole time? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so favorite rom-com teams. I mean, obviously Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, like, they could make a movie now. And I would just be like, yeah. I mean, obviously Nora Ephron. That would um, be incredible. They should make a movie right now. I mean, if Nora well, not, not like right now, but like that would be really great. Like an like a older in life, more distinguished like so version of their love story. Uh, so basically, something's got to give or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm into it. Um, I, I'm not as tied to like different teams, although like it is fun to be like, oh, they should throw so and so and so and so into a into a rom-com granted so during this lockdown and shout out to hbo max and thank you for letting me uh be on your account (laughs) what friends are for right so one of the beauties of hbo max is they have all those old movies and like Mm -hmm. a lot of like classic movies yeah and so i've had a lot of fun going into that 
so one of the ones that I've watched and like kind of want to keep going through their pairings is the uh, Catherine Hepburn Spencer Tracy movies. Mm-hmm. And, and so I watched Woman of the Year uh, most recently, which was it's really fun and it's like it's a fun play on like what gender roles should be and it, it's kind of shocking in 1942 that they were letting this happen. Granted, at the end, I, I don't want to spoil it. A movie that has been out for 80 years, but <laughs> but it's it's really fun and it's charming and and it's like the pure hollywood idea of let's just put two famous people together and they made like eight movies together and and those partnerships are always fun Um, yeah i think like one that comes to mind of like partnerships obviously you know through the ages you have like you have meg ryan and tom hanks and then like in the early 2000s you get kate hudson and matthew mcconaughey and then I think like one of my favorite, like, I guess it's a romantic comedy. When you Google romantic comedies, it comes up. So I will count it is um, Crazy Stupid Love. I, I think that movie is really fun. It's super delightful. Um, I think that like the scene between uh, Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling is when they kind of figure out that the two of them make a great romantic duo and it's the scene where Emma Stone, where Ryan Gosling takes off his shirt and Emma Stone is like, that's what, that's not even fair. Like, you've got to be fake. Are you kidding me? And it's because he's like so chiseled and hot. And like, I think like if that energy wouldn't have worked, they would have never made La La Land, which like ended up being one of the best beautiful romance movies of like the, you know, 2000s. Things like that became like a team very quickly that instead of just churning out a thousand like romantic comedies, which they easily could have and a thousand people would have watched it and it would have been great to just see the two of them kind of play off each other. Instead, they condensed all that energy. Well, that's the interesting part about Hollywood today. And I've like wiggled my arms to accentuate the... uh, Yes, Hollywood. (laughs) Is they don't run it back. You know, if they if they they run a pairing back, it's in a different genre or it's a rom-com and they decide to make the press circuit, the the third, fourth and fifth films that those two do. They're like, wow, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper, there were like dating rumors because their energy in A Star is Born was so good. But you're totally right. Like them at the Grammys, them at the Oscars, all the press. (laughs) That was like. All of the it was like Stars Born Two, Stars Born Three, <laughs> Stars Born Four. It's like all the Stars times Born they were live on, in Las Vegas. Yes, it was like all the times that they were on stage together in press. But like, I don't know if they would be like, wouldn't it be fun if Lady Gaga was like a waitress and then like Bradley Cooper was like the big businessman in town and like then they fell in love. Like, like you could have done that. I feel like. 15 years ago but now people kind of like see through it well that and it's like think about who's in rom-com or who are like so i really did a quick google of like important rom-com duos in cinematic history or whatever and so like these names julia roberts and richard Gere in pretty woman and runaway bride meg ryan tom hanks they're in three together meg ryan and billy crystal i don't know if that counts because they were in one but like drew barrymore Renee Zellweger and Colin Firth. Like, these are guys, these are actors with, like, substantial, like, pull, like, Tom Hanks. And, like, who's the equivalent of, like, Tom Hanks right now? 
literally there will never be another Tom Hanks, and that's for it's like, it's, a multitude of reasons. It's like if like Michael B. Jordan and Lupita Nyong'o decided to like, you know what, let's do like two rom coms together. Wild. <laughs> My favorite rom com duo that hasn't happened is Saoirse Ronan and Timothy Chalamet. I feel like we got a little taste of it in Lady Bird. Well, we'll think even with uh, with, with them in, in Little Women, like the so good. They pull their best friends. They they obviously have great chemistry together. Um, and so maybe when they're like thirty five, they'll do a a, a goofy rom com because. Ooh. They just decide to. We've been talking so much about like the John Hughes movies, you and I like lately, that like I would love to see them in sort of a like pretty in pink situation. Like I want to see her in like a classic 80s sort of vibe a la Molly Ringwald. Um, But like her John Hughes as uh, John Hughes and Molly Ringwald have both openly talked about like he would write movies for Molly Ringwald as the main character. Like, I feel like Greta is writing at for Saoirse Ronan, which is incredible. Granted, again, Saoirse Ronan went up to Greta and was like, hey, I'm Joe. Yeah, <laughs> like, hey, <that's>... by the <laughs> way. <laughs> I, I'm your Joe. Uh, but yeah, so like the duo, the duos is, I guess... Yeah, I'd love to, I mean, I think about this all the time with like sports, like, oh, what if so-and-so played with so-and-so? There's there's a lot of times where I'm like, oh, you know, what if these two got together and, and did a rom-com? And sometimes it's surprising, like, it's stupid to say, oh, this good actor is really charming when they need to be. Like Charlie Theron in Longshot. I'm like, oh my mm-hmm. God, it was really funny. Charlie Theron. Amazing. I would love to see... And, like, there is a little bit of this, like, coming about. Like, I feel like Crazy Rich Asians, mm, maybe more, like, uh, to all the boys I've loved before. But, like, this idea of, like, not just putting, like, the popular thin white girl with, like, the hot white guy who's also popular. And then, like, make them fall in love with each other. Very, like, Matthew McConaughey, Kate Hudson-ish. But, like... I would love to see this like future of the people who are usually the side characters are now the main characters in a love story. And I, and I feel like that is like kind of what they did with um, to all the boys I love before. Like she is like almost the quintessential, like best friend character of like the very talented, very smart, but very pretty, but doesn't know it like Asian girl, like that helps the best friend fall in love with the jock, like that kind of thing, like very easily could have been the movie, but instead they were like, no, no, no. Like she's very talented and they have great chemistry. Like she needs to be the main character, but like, I'm very excited for like the future of, you know, maybe the plus size girl is like the main character or like, the I mean we're definitely starting to see like with like uh love Simon and things like that like their gay relationships and like things on that order are kind without it being like this is a movie for just the LGBT community it's like this is a teen rom-com also he likes guys like I'm excited for like the future of like different types of people getting to fall in love on screen yeah and I think I mean it depends on how what the shape of Hollywood is or like maybe again Netflix has really leaned into making these high school movies and these these rom-coms um and just throwing money at them but like cool we get these kinds of movies that are small let me hang out for 90 minutes to like like two hours with these characters and like again 
where it's not the centralized reason why these characters matter like it's not like oh this person's asian or like this is the black character and like they lean into what those stereotypes might be it like you said is just a thing and it's like it's like an always be my maybe there's things that are very asian in that movie but like nobody's like hey that's asian like it just happened you know um like they're riding on the trolley card in san francisco eating pocky which is like yes that also, <laughs> <laughs> like i also stuffed my face with those things while like playing ps2 with my friends um where i feel like on the other end like there was crazy rich asians which was like this huge blockbuster but they were like it's all asian it's all we're not apologizing for it there's not going to be any breaks there's barely any white people this is an asian movie and you're gonna love it and then the whole world was like damn you right like and it was so good and so charming had like a great best friend character with aquafina like it hit all of the major marks and i think that's why it is like coveted it's such a huge success for the asian community especially within hollywood is that like it wasn't like oh there's like two asian people in this movie what a huge like what a wild success it was like here's an entire movie of like asian people you recognize and also it's a great blockbuster romantic comedy summer flick sort of situation yeah. and that's where it's interesting where rom-coms kind of play in the livelihoods of actors like i mean granted again rom-coms up until this point are basically let's get two straight extremely attractive white people and put them on screen and and they're usually like upper to middle class or middle to upper class um but also with rom-coms one of the things that's good like about them is usually it's oh let's get stars attached to this movie Mm -hmm. but with the newer ones it's a lot of like star making or yeah oh that person because it kind of lets you go through the gamut of acting like you you have to be funny you have to have a believable romance and chemistry with everybody on screen and and you kind of have to carry the movie strictly just based on your presence and and so like that's so i when i watched set it up i was like yes glenn powell zoe like we're i'm i'm in on you guys and now and now glenn powell is going to be in top gun as the most ripped human being of all time but like again with the the star man like noah centineo I mean, I don't know what he's doing now, but like he has had a lot of juice after To All the Boys I Loved Before because it can, again, that's another thing with the high school movie where you can kind of make a, a guy like a teen idol in a way, or even a girl. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's, like you said, it's intriguing to see where the voices kind of go with it because if there's the freedom to make that 15 to $70 million movie and it can be rom-coms and you can kind of just feature these two people then yeah it's a great way to showcase different voices different stories and um just yeah spotlight those things yeah just like the diversity of love stories i think is really something that that is obviously is important it's you it goes without saying it's important but i feel like it's something that people are actually interested in right now and now it will be directed. Right. I mean, like the people who grew up have grown up more with like it being so much more normalized are starting to become of the age yeah. where they are getting the chances to direct, getting the chances to act. And like it's still a long time before, you know, we'll get those, you know, LGBTQ plus rom coms on yeah. like a more regular scale where there won't need to be a, a 
uproar about it. Like, it'll just be a movie. And maybe that's like five decades from now because Hollywood moves notoriously slower than the rest of popular culture. But it's something to, to, to hope for. And it's it's a good hang. Sometimes you just want to hang out with people that you would want to hang out with. And rom-coms are yeah. a beautiful vehicle for that. So or you just want to see attractive people be attractive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like different types of people is all I want. Yeah, exactly. It's that's the that's the wonderful thing about the genre is you could it's semi plug and play. If you have a fun, if you have a fun concept, you know. Obviously, with all movies, it, it depends. Like sometimes the script carries it. Sometimes it's the stars that make up for a script. Sometimes it's the concept that makes up for the two actors. You know, like I think set it up, struck it gold with you know Tay Diggs, Lucy Liu, um, Zoe Dutch, and Glenn Powell in those roles, and they're all just charming and pete davidson is also a really fun best friend character in that movie but i feel like that's one of those uh setups that just works and it, it, you could have had not anybody but any respectable charming actor and it probably would have worked kind of to round it out here why do you think that romantic comedies kind of get this label of like guilty pleasure which is like obviously the whole point of this podcast but also like chick flick is you could shuffle chick flick and rom-com as like the same title almost which i think is unfair but why do you think that they kind of get this like title of like being a guilty pleasure movie instead of just like something that everybody likes because they're so cheesy sometimes a lot of the times it's just it's a mostly low stakes love story that also lets you laugh um, and because there's the love story attached to it, it's obviously seen through like this feminine point of view, um, like a guy crying at a rom-com isn't seen as like a masculine thing or, or stuff like that. And granted, a lot of the rom-coms ever really lean into like gender roles and gender stereotypes and so that all encapsulated onto each other it's like the the comedy is even though most comedians are white men comedies are considered more like neutral ground mm-hmm. and so the neutral ground versus the ro- with combined with the romance which is seen as more feminine so it leans that way like if it's a sports movie that's romantic it's fine like guys can watch it like love and basketball every basketball player loves that movie it's such a sappy cutesy movie that happens to have basketball you know like it's okay that i love one tree hill because it has basketball it sounds like the one tree hill of movies (laughs) but yeah so i just think like romance has for some reason just been seen as a feminine concept or like it's the ideal guy and this like untouchable girl and like all guys kind of like are raised to a certain extent to be like oh you're charming you're cool like you don't want to you could get that girl like it's not like this unattainable thing whereas i mean i don't know so that humility that comes with watching a rom-com it's like it's not quote-unquote cinema but yeah i I don't know it's just one of those things like it's the same reason why sports movies are seen as or in action movies are seen as like bro movies yeah Um, rom-coms like there's again there's sappiness it's cheesy and it's about love (laughs) 
It's all good. So would you say that because this podcast is all about like guilty pleasures that we're not guilty about, would you say that this is something that you're still guilty about your love for romantic comedy movies? Absolutely not. I also think it's just more acceptable for everybody to like rom-coms now. That's probably fair. Like, I mean, granted, we're 25. And when I thought it was unacceptable, I was a 17-year-old boy trying to make it on the basketball team and failing. <laughs> Life was a lot different then. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and so to speak of how culture has shifted is kind of interesting because, again, we were young adults and 10 years ago we were high schoolers. So there's a lot of just like things that you accept in your young adulthood a lot more. Uh, so who knows? But I, I do think it's, it's just more acceptable to just enjoy a good rom-com. And you know what? I don't want to watch the 25th hour tonight. I'll watch Set It Up. That's great. Thank you so much, Zach, for being on the pod. You have great uh, guilty pleasures that you're not guilty about. Maybe it's because I know you so well, but we definitely have more uh, Zach episodes than probably anyone else at this point, but it's really good. Thank you for hanging out with me. Amanda, I had a great time being a boy standing in front of a computer screen facing a girl who's in front of a mic talking about their non-guilty guilty pleasures. <laughs> Good to see you. See you too.